Hey, I'm Brett Podolsky, co-founder of The Farmer's Dog. We make fresh food for dogs. We started the company when we saw what a huge difference it made in my own dog, Jada, when she stopped eating ultra-processed kibble and started eating fresh, whole food. The Farmer's Dog food isn't fancy. It's just real food delivered to your door in pre-portioned packs. It's better for them and easier for you. Get 50% off your first box at thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. That's thefarmersdog.com slash podcast. And welcome to Lake Kick is Live. It is Thursday night, June 17th. Yes, the year of our Lord 2021 jam-packed show. What do we have? Well, we've got some scandal. We've got some scheduling. What else do we have? We've got some portal. We've got some swing games. What we don't have is the dreaded O word, offseason. Nowhere to be found tonight. You see, corresponding on the YouTube screen, if you're watching there, what we're talking about tonight. Listen, I don't know how else to put it. Arizona State is toast. Might as well have had him for breakfast this morning. We're going to get into some finer details had a little bit of heads up on what was coming with them and still kind of do have heads up. I don't think the barrel has been emptied. Let's just put it that way on Arizona State yet. How about all the playoff talk this week and maybe hidden behind the veneer and the big curtain of what the main event has been, there was a little fess-up job done by our neighbors in, where are they, Bristol, Connecticut? Your former employer, Direct Emeritus Collin, ESPN. Had a little admission or two this week, and I don't know if everyone caught it, but if you didn't, don't worry. This is the show for you. Transfer portal, red flags are flying just as sure as they are on the Gulf Coast right now with an impending tropical storm. Yeah, we got some red flags. I got some numbers that I don't know if they're going to blow your mind because if you've been watching Late Kick, you know what's going on, but uh, it's not going to end well. And there's not really anything anyone can do about it. All that, plus we're going to continue our swing game series tonight. We've done the SEC. I think we're going to do the Big Ten Sunday night. We're going to do the ACC tonight. I want to reiterate, we've got some really good things coming. I can tell you about some of them. I can't tell you about a lot of them. You won't have to wait long, though. I hinted about this on the pod this morning. By the way, the Late Kick Extra podcast that I released this morning, we do them every Tuesday, Thursday morning. It's all Q&A. We have gotten as good a batch of feedback from you already through 12 hours on that podcast as we've ever had, so much so that I may clip some of it for the Sunday night show. There was one part in particular Um, But I'm telling you about it because if you want some behind-the-scenes, inner-working, nuts-and-bolt stuff about the show, I don't have time to talk about it here. I do have time there. You might want to go listen to that podcast from this morning. Only other request before we get started, sub to the channel and like the video. That's it. Otherwise, the show's free. Let's kick it off. Arizona State. Just wow. Wow, wow, wow. We were told early in the week by George Reister on Twitter, through a cryptic tweet, which is beautiful. I love the art of the cryptic tweet. We were told there was a major bombshell about to break, uh, presumably out on the West Coast, and it was on the verge of happening, and it was going to destroy a legacy. Now, immediately, a lot of attention went to Southern Cal. We were told it wasn't going to be Oregon. I did a little feeling out, got some information on it, but did not know which program it was going to be until like six hours before the story broke. And boy, did the story break earlier this week. It was Doug Haller with The Athletic, Bruce Feldman hopped in there. Bruce uh, Feldman had some really good stuff on top of that. But man, Pete Thamel's story, I'm going to read you some of it in just a second. He dropped a bombshell and it was all just boom, boom, boom over the span of one afternoon a couple of days ago. So what I was told a few hours before it broke was what this is going to do is once you see what the report entails, it's going to clean out an entire athletic department, an entire football department at the very least. 
And I just, anytime I'm told that, I got to see it to believe it. Well, now we've seen it. I fully believe it. I don't know how anyone in that football program survives this right now. I totally agree. Just to summarize, if you're not up to speed on what happened, you remember what occurred last year. Well, we had COVID. You remember that. And then you remember the NCAA instituted dead period. It was 15 months long. And we just came out of it in June, June 1st. And so you couldn't do anything. You couldn't do what you normally do in the season. You could not have recruits on campus. You couldn't schedule your visits. And so it, it screwed a lot of programs up. Well, the only difference between most programs and Arizona State is Arizona State says, screw it. We're in Tempe. Maybe no one's watching. We're just going to do what we want to anyway. So I want to read a couple of experts. This is from the Pete Thamel story on Yahoo Sports. I also encourage you, if you have not already, go to The Athletic because they've got some good stuff there too. But just listen to the details. There's a word included here that I never thought we would be using within the context of college football. An anonymous person sent a dossier, there's that word, of dozens of pages to the Arizona State Athletic Department and included screenshots, receipts, pictures, emails, all related to numerous potential violations. The documentation includes specific evidence of multiple examples of high school prospects taking illicit on-campus recruiting trips. Now notice, absent in all this, was the normal allegation. The normal allegation would be dollar amounts that players have been paid. That's not the allegation. Remember, the context is very, very key here. We were in a period that is called a dead period for a reason. You can't have guys on campus. Pete Thamel continues, the dossier, according to sources, lays out pieces of both the players' trips to campus and how those trips were paid for. You're probably forming a question that I think is common sense at this point. We'll get to the question in a second. Last part here. Sources said members of the football program deliberately, blatantly, and consistently broke rules related to hosting players, including Herm Edwards, meeting with recruits. And that source added evidence included pictures of visits, including, and this is not to be uh, left in the dust, Edwards with a recruit who ended up enrolling at Arizona State. The question you should have is, How in the world did anyone get their hands on information so thorough? Uh, How did we get to a place where we have enough tangible evidence gathered of violations and impropriety that we can actually use the word dossier in college football? How did we get there? That's normally stuff you have to turn on the cable news channels to hear. Well, I'll tell you how. Disgruntled former employees. That's how that happens. In this case, coaches. Also, I think a current staffer was anonymously sourced in one of these stories, but coaches. Here was the big and blatant miscalculation that Herm Edwards made. They had done some good things out there. They had gotten some decent momentum. It really looked for all the world like this season, if they were ever going to break through, this was going to be the breakthrough year. Now we sit here on the heels of a bombshell report or multiple reports. I don't know how in the world anyone on that staff survives, Herm Edwards or elsewhere. How, uh, Antonio Pierce is the name that I think a lot of people inside our industry are throwing around because Antonio Pierce, although not the face of Arizona State football, was actually, I think, a lot of the determining factor for why so many people were disgruntled here. You did not have to read far in these excerpts to find a lot of animus directed towards Antonio Pierce. Way too polarizing a guy, as it turns out, to be calling the shots anywhere. This is not the only program, and I want to reiterate this. This is not the only program that is even currently under investigation for this. Now, that's been whispered about for a couple of weeks. I don't have any firsthand knowledge of an investigation going, well, firsthand, no. I don't have firsthand knowledge of an investigation going on right now. 
Secondhand knowledge, you do what you will with it. It's not stuff we talk about on here because uh, secondhand knowledge will burn you badly. But I'm saying that to then caution you just because that's true. Don't expect some flood of subsequent stories. You remember that Arizona State deal? Well, how about fill in the blank university? How about so and so state? It may happen, but I don't know that it's just a foregone conclusion simply because there is investigation going on right now. Because what Arizona State did is two part. Number one, well, they blatantly violated protocol and NCAA rules, but number two, they sprung so many leaks. If we did not have Antonio Pierce running things roughshod the way he was out there, then I still don't think, even given all the impropriety, that we'd have, look at all the highlight, if you're watching on YouTube, all the highlight on that piece of paper, I don't think we would have that kind of information readily available here. The only way you get that kind of information, keep in mind the investigatory body we're talking about, as we like to say around here, incapable of taking a leak without getting the front of its pants wet. The only way that the NCAA acquires that thorough amount of information is if someone who had direct knowledge of it said, here, and hands it to them. Probably, literally, on a silver platter. And so if that existed other programs, that's one thing. I wouldn't just be so sure that existed other programs. I, I think it's more likely than not that this may end up being an isolated incident in terms of you ever finding out about it. I'll tell you what else stood out before we move on and how you know that they are a cooked noodle, Arizona State. How many people just went on record? David Shaw is a head coach in that conference. Didn't have any problem going on record. I think um, Swarbrick, the athletic director at Notre Dame, I think the Oregon State athletic director today, they didn't even go anonymous. They just went on record, and they basically wagged their finger and said, shame on you, Arizona State. If that is ever the case publicly, it is 100-fold behind the scenes. Because you can, if you sit in the right position, you can hear a lot of these coaches and administrators privately bash each other, and then publicly, at a media day setting, they praise their entire conference. And that's when they don't like each other. So for people to be publicly, in the role of a head coach and athletic director, just openly bashing another university and another program, that means they've pretty much circled the wagons, and the circle of the wagons is around you, but it's not a friendly circle. All right, so let's move on. Arizona State, uh, not in a good place right now. So, um, yeah, you see that. You see, I don't like to talk about what I'm about to talk about, but don't worry. I'm going to talk about it in a positive way. So the college football playoff expansion, that's been really the big deal. I've done probably over a dozen radio hits about that very topic this week, but I wanted to hit it from a different angle tonight. I'm not talking about eight teams versus 12 teams or four teams, and you know what our deal is here. I laid it out for you. You know how I feel about it. But I also told you, we're not going to do the whole beat the dead horse. I'm going to acknowledge facts. We know what we have on the table here. And I'm going to discuss it within the context of what the facts are. Facts are this thing's expanding. Uh, it will, I'm not sure when everything will be ironed out, but it will be expanding. So with that in mind, like it or not, I want to forget about the format for a second. And I want to forget about how you and I may feel, whether we agree or disagree on the expansion and what's best for college football because I think I got something here that all of us agree is best for college football, and that is ESPN flat out fessing up to play in their role, no small role, mind you, in the more myopic nature that I think a lot of the sporting public takes now in their vision of college football. It is a stance that we have held on this show before we even brought it to 24-7 sports. You have heard me go over it many times, so I'm just going to skim the surface of it if you haven't ever heard it. There is a misconception out there, 
uh, it is my belief that there's a misconception that every bad thing that's happening or has happened in college football in the past six or seven years in what we would call the playoff era is a result of the playoff. That's not necessarily the case. For instance, if you made back-to-back horrible hires and your program was locked out of ever having a shot in the playoff, you sucked during the playoff era. It wasn't the playoff's fault. Now, there could be other things that are more directly attributed to the playoff. But right now, the biggest thing, the crux of the entire issue is there is a popular school of thought out there that the gap, the growing gap between the haves and the have-nots that's only been exacerbated during the playoff era is a direct result of the playoff. And part two to that is people calling bowl games meaningless and players opting out of non-playoff bowl games is a direct result of the playoff. We could argue the first one. The second one I call BS on, 10 times out of 10. You will never convince me that the playoff is solely to blame for people all of a sudden viewing other bowl games as meaningless. Because really what we're talking about at its core is the concept of crowning a champion being the only thing that all of a sudden matters in college football. It was never that way. You think instituting a playoff all of a sudden made it that way? No. What we've contended here is it's not the playoff itself. It's the way the playoff was packaged, rolled off the assembly line, and marketed to you by, conveniently, the same entity that owned the playoff contract for the past seven, eight years, however long that's been now. And that would be ESPN. This is never a show that just has its bash ESPN fest, but I think that there's been really good reason to do that in this particular avenue. And with that, we arrive this week over at The Athletic. Two citations of The Athletic tonight, as it turns out. I thought Nicole Auerbach had a really good story this week, and she got Lee Fitting on the record. Now, for those of you who don't know who Lee Fitting is, that is the senior vice president of production for pretty much everything college football that they do. Uh, He is the big kahuna. If you're watching college game day, it ain't happening if he didn't approve it. If you're watching a lead-in to the Saturday night ABC game of the week, it ain't happening if he didn't approve it. So Lee Fitting, he, he carries an awful big stick around that place. And he gave some very interesting comments this week to Nicole Auerbach. I want you to listen to this. I'll comment on the other side. This is Lee Fitting himself talking. I think it's time to take a little reset as far as we're concerned. Obviously, the playoff remains a priority. A, for the sport, B, for business, but at the same time, and this is where I want you to lean in, I'm worried that we've gone a little too far away from what makes college football great, and that is that there is something in every game for fans out there. It's not just the top four, five, six, or seven. It's my belief that the college football fan is different than most other sports fans and that they still want to hear about their team regardless of where they fall in the national picture. And then Nicole Auerbach adds, Fitting says he's been part of several conversations this offseason with various stakeholders within ESPN about balancing their college football coverage better. That's really good news. In what has seemed to be a sea of negativity, or at least shades of negativity, within this whole conversation over the last week, hey, that's really good news. Regardless of how big the playoff is, whether it's 4 or 40, that is really good news. That is a substantive step if they follow through on that, and I have no reason to believe they won't in correcting something that actually is one of the big contributing problems to college football. Again, you go back to my school of thought, I don't believe the playoff is the reason Florida had a bunch of kids opt out this last year. I believe an entire year after year after year approach of solely focusing on the college football playoff above anything else and pretending like once you've lost two games and you're out of it, you're irrelevant, and saying the phrase meaningless playoff game or meaningless bowl game for so many years, I believe players finally listen to it 
And I believe that's why bowl games that would have meant the world just a decade ago all of a sudden get met with a collective yawn and big-time players opting out. Uh, There was another quotation in here that I wanted to hit right quick. This is Reese Davis, current host of College Game Day. He said, it's important to remember that it's really hard to make Bama fans care about Washington State, Oregon State. And I don't mean to cast dispersions at that, but absent playoff implication, you have to find something interesting about those types of games in order to give it proper credence within the show and to justify it having time within the show. You can't pretend there's no playoff prism because it's certainly there. He's right, but the last sentence is not what I want to focus on. He said, absent playoff implications, you have to find something interesting about those games. This is the key phrase here. I think the playoff provided a great big crutch, not just for ESPN, for a ton of people in our business for a long time now, really ever since its institution. That playoff, that little football, if you're watching, that little graphic, that black and gold graphic of that football, I think I have one on the thermos here. That has been a crutch content-wise for quite a while now. And it's been something you could rely on. Everyone's going to click on playoff. As sure as I sit here and talk to you, I'm going to put college football playoff somewhere in this individual video's title. And when we upload it on web, it'll do traffic because it's a very popular search term. That's lazy. I'm not calling ourselves lazy because at least we're trying to be creative with the segment. But that as a content strategy is lazy, especially when you call yourself the worldwide leader. It is not hard to tell the story of college football in a way that gets mass buy-in even when there is no playoff implication on the line. You just have to try. You just have to open your eyes. It's there. What made college game day, for example, must-see when I was growing up had nothing to do with the national championship game. I wanted to see the setting. I wanted to hear stories. And I wanted to basically see college football delivered to me in a national way through the lens of an entity that authentically understood the game. There was a time where that broadcast did that. I haven't watched the broadcast in a long time. Fairly, I'm on the road most of the time, so it's not that I've just outright turned it off. I just want you to tell me the story of college football, and the story of college football does not start or end with the playoff. The story of college football is Howard's Rock. It's Ralphie's Run. It's it's Script Ohio. It is a decibel level on a Saturday night in Tiger Stadium or the Swamp that would rival a runway at Hartsfield-Jackson International Airport in Atlanta, Georgia. It's a whiteout. It's, a, it's an eagle circling a stadium and landing at the 50-yard line. You don't find that anywhere else in sports on planet Earth but college football. And nothing I just said has anything to do with what your record is or whether you got a playoff spot on the line. That's the story of college football. You package that. You market that. It appeals broadly. It always has. It always will. You don't have to lean on that little playoff logo as your crutch all the time. Believe it or not, there's a whole game out there that has nothing to do with the college football playoff. If this is indeed part of a new content strategy to ESPN, it is a win for every single one of us. I don't care if you work for them or you even like them or not. Uh, ESPN plays a huge role and will going forward within the context of how the conversation surrounding this game is framed. All right, that's as cheery as I can get right now around the playoff.
Introducing the two-way V4, where groundbreaking fuel cell technology meets fresh foam cushioning for the ultimate performance. With fuel cell, each step feels explosive, delivering unparalleled energy return. Paired with fresh foam, experience maximum comfort throughout the game. Its lightweight textile upper offers support and breathability without sacrificing agility. Whether you're hitting the clutch shot or locking down the opposition, the two-way V4 gives you the tools to play at a high level. Learn more and purchase the two-way for yourself at newbalance.com ebay motors is here for the ride remember when you first saw the potential and then through some elbow grease fresh installs and a whole lot of love you transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own look to your left look to your right it's official no one's got a ride like this there's nothing else that sounds like feels like or looks like the set of wheels in your garage With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly, so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. There are red flags flying. If you're along the Gulf Coast, you know you have a tropical storm incoming. I'm about to, once we wrap up the show tonight, actually drive south right into what looks like a streak of about a half a foot of rain over the weekend. So happy Father's Day to everyone in Louisiana, Alabama, Georgia. It's going to be saturated. So if dad likes water, it's going to be a good weekend for him. Look, There is a red flag flying right above the transfer portal right now. It's no secret or mystery to anyone. The numbers have been there. It's just that you keep looking at the numbers and you keep trying to calculate how this is going to work out and your calculator just keeps shaking its head at you. There is no way it works out. It's like you can see the disaster coming, but there's nothing you can do about it. That movie Deep Impact, we like to reference at least one disaster movie per show. There was a certain point, what was it called, Colin? I think Zero Barrier, Zero Barrier, that was British. Once you reach zero barrier, you just sit there and you look at the sky and you wait for it to land in the ocean and then create a tidal wave the size of the Empire State Building and it swallows you up because Tia Leone wouldn't even leave the beach. She just stood there. She just took it. Uh, Elijah Wood had it figured out in that movie, by the way. So we see it coming and there's nothing anyone can do about it. Transfer portal in combination with the change in the structure of high school football recruiting this year, it's going to be woof. That's what it's going to be. We're going to sit at, at the well at a desk somewhere around here, hint, hint, and we are going to be covering signing day, and we are going to be looking at some incredible numbers, and I'm about to share some of them with you right now. The first good news that I want to share before I get to some of the red flag stuff is we had some big transfer portal movement this weekend. Jackson State, I'm going to go through these names right quick because maybe you're not up to date because it's been a busy week. Dalen Baldwin, you know that name? You may not. He just got done with the spring season at Jackson State. He has transferred to Michigan. This was a big move. This was the number five overall receiver in the transfer portal. And remember, Michigan lost Xavier Worthy. True freshman commit, lost him. They didn't get him in. He's at Texas now. And this is a really, really good replacement. Baldwin, 9.2 yards per reception, according to our friends over there at PFF this year. And him, along with Ronnie Bell, theoretically, that gives you as much after-the-catch explosiveness as Michigan has had in that receiver core. Also, recently, Darwin Barlow. That's the TCU running back, and he is now at USC. This is why following the transfer portal is so important. 
You can't take that two or three month stretch of just tuning out of college football if you want to be really dialed in. If you're ever going to bet this sport, for example, you can't be taking these months off because this name, Darwin Barlow, in conjunction with Keontae Ingram, makes the sentence I'm about to say actually plausible. If you were to have checked with me three or four months ago and I said, excuse me, USC fan, you know Marquis Stepp, Stephen Carr, you say, yeah, two of our tailbacks, yeah, you're going to lose both of them. But here's the good news. You're going to upgrade. It would have made no sense until you find out, oh, we're getting Keontae Ingram from Texas. Oh, we're getting Darvin Barlow from TCU, our seventh and eighth transfers, not in that order. All of a sudden, it looks like the backfield, especially at the tailback position, may have actually improved. We're looking at a situation now where you take June, and I think July is also going to be this way, but especially the post-spring period, the transfer portal. These are where the most pivotal moves are happening. So table that. We're going to get back to that in a second. Uh, Stacey Wilkins was at Oklahoma, and this is a guy who is a very good offensive tackle prospect. He was a former top 200 guy, a four-star guy, just a really good player on a stacked roster. So there's you know not a big character concern or anything right here. FSU is going to get a visit. It is well documented how badly they need offensive linemen. Keep an ear to the ground. I think we're probably going to hear more on that recruitment in just a little bit. And then there's one that's wide open too, and that's Demetrius Robertson. This was the top overall receiver in the 2016 class. Speed, speed, speed. That's what stood out about him. He was out of somewhere over in the Savannah area. And it was kind of a weird recruitment. A lot of the Southern schools were in it for him. He goes all the way to Cal. He ends up transferring back to Georgia. Well, now he's, he's left Georgia. And again, I want, to, I want to specify there's not gigantic character issue here. Really good kid. I mean, you talk to folks like Jake Rhodes, Rusty Kip, the guys who cover Georgia for us. They speak glowingly. Uh, they'll all three readily give you boom, 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 three character references for him. He was just going to be more a role player type who feels like he can be a feature wide receiver. I mean, Demetrius Robertson is the guy who everyone's waited to pop, and he just hasn't popped. He's been good in flashes, but hasn't popped and had that big 1,000-plus yard receiving season. And there are people who think he can, chiefly among them, the guy in the mirror he looks at every morning. And so he wants to land somewhere he can be featured. Don't know where that's going to be yet. So those are moves that have happened that you may or may not have known about. That's the good news. The bad news is the commitment rate from the high school level is way down. Now, I want you to listen to these numbers. I saw Bud Elliott tweet these out this morning. We are pacing right now for 223 verbal commitments in the month of June. Now you say, what does that mean? That sounds like a lot. Well, it would be until you look at the context here. We're showing it to you if you're watching on YouTube. In 2019, we had nearly 600 verbal commits this month. In 2020, we had 676. Now there is context in all of these years, and this year is no different. We're pacing for what? Roughly a third of what would be normal. Now part one of that context is obvious. We have right now a situation where we've just come out of that 15-month dead period. A lot of guys haven't been able to take on-campus visits. And so right now you're trying to jam what would be your past year into a month. A lot of guys have, as we've said, five or six visits lined up, some official, some unofficial. I expect, as do many other people, a wave of verbal commitments in July. There is no way it can catch up, though. So then you may say, well, how do you know 400-some-odd kids aren't going to all of a sudden commit? Because there aren't enough spots. And that brings us to part two of the problem. How is the super senior roster situation going to be handled? See, you remember the front end. The NCAA only has to deal with the front end. You know, for example, they can come in and they can tell you, or they can tell us at Pate State University, 
hey, we're, we're passing a rule so we can look good in front of the public that uh, everybody who played last year, you're going to get another year. We're going to give you a COVID year. If you want to be a senior, we can call you a super senior. That sounds great. And you get applause. Rare round of applause for the NCAA. But what they didn't do is they didn't come around on the back end and say, and we're going to loosen your scholarship restrictions or numbers. And at 85, it's going to be a lot softer through the next three or four years to account for that potential lump that otherwise wouldn't have been on your roster that is because we granted an extra year of eligibility. That is a problem. And then you've also got a situation where you got guys on staffs having to look and make a decision. Do I want to take a portal kid or do I want to take a kid from high school knowing that these spots are more precious? We talked last week about Satterfield at Louisville being on the record saying we only plan on taking 10, 11, or 12 high school recruits this year. It was never the case before. Even programs like Clemson that notoriously take small classes take more than 12, but that's what we're looking at now. So we've got hundreds and hundreds of kids in the portal that simple mathematics would tell you are not going to have a landing spot, and we got a ton of uncommitted kids who also probably cannot find a spot at the Power 5 level to commit to right now. And the worst part about this is there's no easy fix in sight. Because no one knows how to look at this and say, okay, well, the way to fix this is, well, what do you do? You know, some people are looking and saying, well, let's, um, let's raise the 25 limit per year, the initial counter limit. And then you got pushback on that and saying, oh, that just means that, you know, these big programs, they're going to push their kids out the door in order to make room for other kids. There is a pushback to every conventional solution is what I'm trying to tell you. And so I'm looking, you know, I have, I have sheets and sheets right here of transfer portal, kids in the transfer portal. It's a mess. That's what I'm saying. It's a mess. So, um, yeah, stay tuned on that, but it's not going anywhere anytime soon. That is, um, that's essentially where we are right now. All right, so here's what I want to do. I want to uh, flip through these pages because I was actually trying to look for something. I want to do our ACC swing games. There they are. No, they're not there. All right, so here's what we're going to have to do. I'm talking to our friends in Fort Lauderdale now. We are going to have to roll through them, and you're going to have to bring the graphic up for me because uh, I don't even have my notes in front of me, but that's okay because if I can see them, I've memorized them. So here's what we try and do with the swing games. Swing games in the ACC this year, what we're talking about is not necessarily your biggest game. What we're talking about is the game that when we look back come December, we will look at it and say, that's actually the game that, as it turns out, determined how the rest of the season was going to go. So the Clemson Tigers are first up. You don't have to look far. Clemson's swing game is obvious. It's against Georgia. It's in week one. It's right there in Charlotte. This is probably the game that we'll be at. How did I decide this? Well, if you look at the rest of Clemson's schedule, which we're showing you on the screen right now, if you're watching on YouTube, do me a favor. You don't have to have it in front of you, but I want you to try and guess the point spreads for the rest of those games. And then after you've guessed them, you can hit pause if you want to. I want you to find me the game where they're going to be less than a three-touchdown favorite the rest of the way. And the answer, to save you some time, the most likely answer is that game on October 23rd at Pitt. That one right now, we would make them a 17-and-a-half-point favorite. They could very well be over a three-touchdown favorite in every game they play after the Georgia game. So out of a simple lack of other options we got to make the Georgia game the swing game because you know what the reality is going to be. There will never be a more unanimous headline than if the Clemson Tigers lose in week one because you'll see it plastered everywhere that following Sunday morning. Did Clemson cost themselves a playoff shot? Are they going to be able to earn their way back in the playoff picture? Well, I think perception versus reality is going to change as the season goes on. 
but you're looking at the odds right now for Clemson to win the ACC minus 800. It's insanity. Like I've I've got less than a minus 800 shot to finish the show without choking. That's how big their odds are right now in the ACC. So it's going to be an interesting topic of conversation now where they are the rest of the year if they were to lose in week one in relation to strength of schedule because that's an important metric here strength of schedule it's not a 12-team field this year it's still a 14 field so that's the first team there who do we have second who did we have lined up there Clemson by the way that point spread that that could end up being record-breaking if that is indeed the case how about North Carolina so North Carolina is a fringe ACC contender I guess you would refer to them as I looked up and down their schedule. I had a couple of different places I could go. I picked the Miami game. Miami comes into Chapel Hill. It's week seven. So this is October 16th. Uh, this is a very, very big schedule dynamic spot. You're looking at North Carolina's schedule right now. Carolina opens at Virginia Tech. They're going to be favored there by about six, I think is where that sits right now. After that game, they will be double-digit favorites every game until this Miami game as it stands right now, this can all change. And that Miami game is going to be very competitive. Now, when I say scheduling dynamics, what I mean is that's going to be Carolina's seventh game in a row. Miami will be coming off a bye week in that one. And that's going to be Super Bowl type situation for Miami. I mean, you know, they got to prove that they have reemerged and reasserted themselves in the ACC. So that's going to be one where it's kind of a survival mode for one, a Super Bowl mode for the other one. And you could look after that. You know, they got Notre Dame after that. They've got, as I said, Virginia Tech in week one. I think the Miami game for North Carolina, that's the one you got to circle. That's the swing. Because if you lose that one, you know, where are we after that? Well, a lot of it determines, obviously, by what you've done before that. I just almost unmuted myself here. All right, after North Carolina, we continue to roll on. I'm not doing every team in the ACC, by the way, but I am doing Florida State. So Louisville plays at Florida State in week four. That is September 25th. Now, you look up and down the Noel schedule, there are a number of places you could go. A lot of people would go week one. The Notre Dame game is where a lot of Florida State fans would go. I didn't go there. I would caution you to be careful against Jacksonville State. At Wake Forest is not going to be fun either. I think they're going to be more than a field goal underdog at Wake Forest. But I went with the Louisville game. And the reason it has a lot to do with what happens at Wake Forest If point spreads were to hold, let's just say for a second that the number Vegas puts out is the actual final score on those games. That means they'll be 0-1, 1-1, 1-2. That means they would come into this Louisville game 1-2. Is anyone down there interested in dropping to 1-3? Because there's a little bit of positive momentum around the program right now. A lot of it has to do with recruiting and the potential health of McKenzie Milton. If he's healthy, this is the kind of game you should win. Then you got a winnable game after that in Syracuse, and then you get teed up for that North Carolina game. You got Clemson, but they're on down the schedule a little ways. This is going to be a pivotal game. That Louisville game will be very pivotal. It will determine whether you're talking about fighting and scrapping to try and just get into bowl contention at the end of the year versus that eight win territory and saying solidly, man, next year is going to be a really good year. We weathered the storm, we got through this thing, and now. 2022 is going to be the year where a lot of the dividend starts to pay off. Third year with this coaching staff, that's the kind of game you build on. That's going to be one of those pick em kind of spreads. It's going to be one or two points either way. That Louisville game, that is a game that Florida State badly needs. Who did we have up next? I think we may have had Miami up next. If I didn't have Miami up next, that's the order we should have gone in. No, I went Louisville. Okay, Miami's down the road a little ways. I went Louisville at Wake Forest. So you notice all these don't sync up. I went Louisville at Wake Forest. And the reason I did that is because there's this stretch for Louisville 
where they play a ton of games where the spread will be under four points either way. I'm looking at their schedule on the screen right now. And they go at Ole Miss, week one. We've already got a number on that one. I think Ole Miss is about a seven or eight point favorite. And then they play an FCS team. Okay, if you're watching, if you're not, I'll read it for you. If you're watching right now, they go against Central Florida, at Florida State, at Wake Forest, against Virginia, against Boston College, at NC State. That's one, two, three, four, five. That's six games in a row where the point spread will be four points or less either way. So they're all going to be swing games. you got the Clemson game that'll be a fat spread. But other than that, every game on this schedule is going to be looked at as one that could be won or just as easily lost, which makes Louisville the biggest, what we would call a hinge team, in the entire Atlantic Coast Conference. So I picked the Wake Forest game because it's a back-to-back road. I mean, it's in the middle of this gaggle of games. You can really pick any of them. I picked the Wake Forest game. I think that one's going to go a long way in determining, again, what kind of hinge team are they? Because you're looking at 8-4, and 4-8, four, four and eight, like this kind of schedule lends itself to all modes of outcome. Then we had Miami, didn't we? So we had Miami. I think I saw a sneak peek there uh, to wrap up the ACC. The Miami Hurricanes, make no mistake about it, their season will be defined in that game at North Carolina. That is week seven. We already talked about it once. It's October 16th, and it's Canes at heels. Miami is rested. They're coming off a bye. North Carolina is playing their seventh game in seven consecutive weeks. And this is the opportunity that you're going to have as you look at who they open with. They open with Alabama. Going to be tough to beat Bama. If they do lose to Bama, they're going to be off your radar for a little while. Then they'll play App State, Michigan State, FCS team, Virginia. They'll be favored in all those games, and then they'll go into a bye. And this is their chance to be shot out of a cannon after their bye week, and you got to go in there and ambush someone. And you got to go in there, and really you got to get a big-time conference scalp to put on your wall. Because if they do win that game, think about where they'd be. They'd be undefeated in conference play. If they've taken care of business, they'd be undefeated in conference play after that, and they'd have NC State, Pitt, Georgia Tech, Florida State, Virginia Tech, Duke. Those are all winnable games from Miami, very winnable. I think a lot of people are very, very incorrectly looking at Miami's schedule this year, and you don't get past week one. You say, oh, they ain't got a shot this year. Well, look at weeks two through the end of the season and tell me they don't have a shot. Miami's got a really good shot that game at North Carolina. That'll go a long way in determining how big a shot they have. Very good show tonight. You know, I want to give a lot of credit. I didn't tell you this on the front end. Uh, we'll just we'll just move on. We're not even, you know what? I'm not going to move on either way because uh, we had the Boston College graphic done. So Boston College is what we'll wrap up with. Boston College is a team that's kind of like Louisville, only the entire schedule is that way. Boston College has, again, a bunch of games that could go either way. They got a bunch of really small point spreads. The state of the ACC right now is there's Clemson and then there's a big gap then there's North Carolina, then there's another fairly large gap, but Miami's kind of there, and I'm talking about strictly in terms of power rating, but then there's just an entire group of teams, like an alphabet soup of teams. Boston College is right in there, and they do not open with the toughest of roads. They got Colgate, UMass, Temple. I picked the Missouri game. It's an out-of-conference game, but I picked that as their swing game in week four because that is the start of a stretch of games where they're all going to be either very, very short underdogs or very, very short favorites. Missouri, well, forget about the Clemson game. Aside from that one, NC State, Louisville, Syracuse, Virginia Tech, Georgia Tech, FSU, Wake Forest. Those are all going to be competitive games, but games that Boston College is going to expect to win. Jakovic's back. I mean, it seems like everyone in the ACC has got a returning quarterback. 
But that's going to be the start of it. And so we're going to probably get to that spot. They'll probably be 3-0 and when they play Missouri. Are they going to be an inflated 3-0 and or are they going to be a legit 3-0? and That's the game that you'll find out. So that's where you take care of that storyline. Now we wrap it up. That was, you know, it was handled surprisingly easy. And so what I was about to tell you is we have an entire new production crew tonight. It's not even in Connecticut. It's down in Florida. And they just handled my screw up there like pros. So I appreciate that from them. I certainly appreciate you guys tuning in tonight. I am about to uh, saddle up and head down to Georgia for the weekend, but we will have a show Sunday night, so don't worry about that. In the meantime, again, appreciation. Make sure you're liking the videos and subscribing on the YouTube channel. We're almost at 1,500 five-star reviews on the Late Kick podcast feed, too, if you're on Apple. So let's go ahead and just get right over that hump. Just have it in our rearview mirror by the time we again convene here on Sunday night. Until then, for Director Emeritus Colin Noah and the entire crew down in Fort Lauderdale, I'm Josh Pate. Have yourselves a great rest of your evening and a good start to your weekend, and God bless. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can waste another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can conquer it. I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. Any road. The steeper, the better. Because my all-new Santa Fe is available with H-Track all-wheel drive, so I can hit the trail without a worry in the world. Heck, with three rows and best-in-class rear cargo space, I can pack the whole family in with all our gear. We've got available dual wireless charging for our phones so we'll never lose touch with civilization and we won't lose touch with the primordial power of Mother Earth. So which is it? Waste the weekend or do something a little more epic? And conquer it in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey.